Illinois conducted primary elections this week in the midst of the largest public health emergency in modern history. What was that like for state election officials? We have never, ever had an election that has been conducted under these kinds of conditions. We'll talk with Matt Dietrich, spokesman for the Illinois State Board of Elections, on this edition of Capital Cast. Hello and welcome to Capital Cast, a regular podcast of Capital News Illinois. I'm Peter Hancock. Illinois, Florida, and Arizona all had primary elections this past week. Former Vice President Joe Biden swept the Democratic presidential primaries, pushing him closer to securing the nomination to challenge Republican President Donald Trump. There were plenty of other contested primaries around the state, and in normal times, that would have dominated the news of the week. But these are not normal times, as we all know. With schools closed, bars and restaurants on limited operations, a ban on large public gatherings in place, and many, many people working from home in an effort to combat the spread of the novel coronavirus, the Illinois primaries didn't get the attention they normally would. To talk about how it all went, and to find out what it was like on the inside of the election process, we spoke by phone with Matt Dietrich, spokesman for the Illinois State Board of Elections. Matt, thanks for being here. Sure, Peter. I'm glad to be here. So for those of us who live and breathe elections and polling information and all of the analysis that comes out of them, we feel kind of ripped off this week. Uh, We didn't get that uh, because the elections were so overcrowded with the coronavirus outbreak. Um, Overall, can you tell me what what was the turnout like in this election compared to, say, 2016? We we don't have a statewide compiled turnout yet. We really we won't have that really until we complete the official canvas and certify the vote. That doesn't happen until April 17th, which is a long time to wait for people who are in suspense. But I can tell you anecdotally, just looking over some of the unofficial results that have been posted um, by counties around the state, that it's looking like we'll probably end up with a turnout in maybe the mid-20s. And I say that because um, in if you just look at Cook County and Chicago, um, the, roughly 40% of the total registered voters in the state of Illinois are in either Chicago or suburban Cook County. And th- they reported uh, Cook had a 28% turnout and the city of Chicago had a 31% turnout. So there you're looking at, you know, that's, that's about uh, 39% of the total voters of Illinois. Um, then if you go look at the, the other main population center of the state, which are the, the collar counties surrounding Cook, they go uh, roughly average there is uh, about 24 percent and so you're looking that's why i'm i'm estimating based on what we've seen from cook chicago and the collar counties um, that probably statewide we'll see in somewhere in the mid-20s once once the official numbers are in i know anecdotally sangamon county for example i believe that's which is where springfield is uh, reported, I think, a 22% turnout. So oh. I think that's probably indicative of what you're going to see around the state, which 
by the way, if we end, if we do end up there, would not be catastrophically low. If you look at the last five presidential elections, turnout averaged only 33% going back to 2000. And within those, uh, those five, you, you did have three elections where uh, it was in the 20s. Um, and, and in, uh, I believe it was 26% turnout in the 2012 presidential primary. So if we end up with a, an overall state turnout in the mid 20%, that's not, you know, it's not really out of the uh, range of what we might have expected anyway. Our average, like I said, was about 33%. Okay. That average is skewed a little bit because in 2016, we had a 47% turnout. That was remarkably high. But the reason for that is you had heavy, heavy Republican turnout. You had uh, close to an equal turnout of Democrats and Republicans voting in that primary. There were competitive oh, races in both parties. Yes, yeah. right. You still had both presidential nominations up for grabs and an extremely high interest on both sides. Now, what I do know, I don't have a breakdown yet of Democrat versus Republican. Um, but what I do know is that we had quite a bit of early voting. Um, and the breakdown there among early voters was 80% Democratic to 20% Republican. We had about 300,000 vote by mail ballots that had been sent out to voters. That broke down to about 75% Democratic, 25% Republican. So if that's any indication, and, um, and we're seeing it here and there um, as, as uh, counties put up their unofficial totals, um, you're seeing a higher Democratic turnout, which is very typical to what we have saw, except for uh, 20, you know, in the last five elections, presidential primaries, uh, except for 2016, we generally saw far greater number of Democrats voting in these primaries than Republicans. So let me ask you, uh, outside of Chicago, uh, were polling places adequately staffed? Uh, were they all open? I know some of them had to be moved out of senior centers and places like yeah. that. Yeah, I think that all election authorities across the state had uh, challenges to some extent keeping election judges staffed at polling places keeping uh, they're supposed to have three um, and uh, where there was a real problem of course was in the city of Chicago they had a very high number of judges that canceled at the last minute uh, they were really making a strong effort to recruit volunteer judges they were asking uh, able-bodied voters who hadn't traveled out of the country recently if they voted on tuesday and noticed that their polling place was understaffed or overwhelmed they were asking people to volunteer to be deputized as election judges on the spot so that they could help out doing simple things you know like uh, distributing ballots or you know helping make sure that if there is a line that people are keeping proper distance that sort of thing so we saw it all over the state and i should also add that in every election 
there's always difficulty in recruiting judges for local election authorities. Now, in Chicago, so, uh, the Board of Elections there, the local board, had asked the governor uh, to go to an all-mail ballot election and move the deadline date back. Logistically speaking, would that even have been possible? No, not really. Uh, that would have been, um, for, for one, those conversations were happening on March 11th, and the State Board of Elections was not involved in that in any way. In fact, um, it was never discussed with any uh, with any seriousness uh, among our board members uh, to to postpone the election or to substantially change the structure of it. Like, for example, ordering um, election jurisdictions to send mail ballots to all of their voters um, that just hadn't been discussed. And would mainly you, because we don't we don't have the authority to do that. And that was my um, next question: Would you even have had the legal authority to do that? Right. One thing that, that came out in this whole process is that, um, much like Ohio and a lot of other states, there is no entity or single official in Illinois who has the authority to postpone an election or, or call off an election. Um, you know, if, if the General Assembly wants to change that, and if the General Assembly wants to amend the Illinois Election Code to say that in an emergency, the Illinois State Board of Elections has the authority to vote to to make those changes. The General Assembly could do that. Well, and that's one of the that's, problems we have right now is that we don't have a sitting General Assembly. Right, they've been sent home, and, I, and it sounds like they're not going to be coming back this spring. Um, now, uh, getting getting back to the question of Chicago and the postponement, I know that uh, it. It actually came out after the fact uh, that they had met on March 11th with uh, representatives of the governor's office and also uh, representatives from Mayor Lori Lightfoot's office in Chicago um, to to discuss possibly postponing the election. And uh, what what transpired was that from from what was communicated to me from my counterpart at the Chicago Board of Election Commissioners, they got assurances from the governor's office and the city of Chicago that they would have adequate resources to uh, staff and properly run the election on election day. So uh, by the evening of March 11th, when news started to leak about this meeting, I was told by my counterpart at the at the Chicago board that nope, they were full speed ahead for March 17th and that they had had assurances that they would have enough people and enough resources to uh, to keep everything going and flowing smoothly. And it was uh, everyone statewide involved in running elections faced challenges. Everyone statewide was having nursing homes pull out as public polling places. So every county clerk was moving their polling places out of nursing homes and getting them set up elsewhere. They also had to, they're required by statute to notify affected voters who were supposed to be voting there. So they had to mail out new voting cards to voters who were supposed to be voting in that precinct polling place. Um, so that's a challenge. It's, it's, it's no small task 
when you've got a polling place all set up, you have the equipment set up, delivered, tested, ready to go, <clears throat> you've got to send your trucks in, load it all up, move it to the new location, get everything set up again, make sure everything is functioning properly. Chicago didn't have several days to do this in a lot of cases. They were still getting replacements and cancellations as late as the weekend before the election. So mm. they were literally getting their trucking companies, sending them immediately uh, on, I, from my impression, from my conversation, uh, the the press calls that the Chicago board did on election day was that as late as Monday, they were still moving stuff and getting things set up. So the challenges there were especially extreme. Okay, if we think back now to like just three weeks ago, which now seems like an eternity, uh, before the coronavirus outbreak became a global pandemic, uh, the big concern in Illinois, one of the big concerns was about cybersecurity because Illinois had been hacked in a previous election. Did we have any problems along those lines? No, uh, we did not. <clears throat> and and this this was the, uh, if, if you count statewide elections, this was our uh, third statewide election. Well, actually, it was our fourth statewide election that's been conducted after the uh, July 2016 data breach to our statewide voter registration database. And once again, it went smoothly with uh, no unusual, unexpected um, cyber threats. Uh, like we always say, you know, it's, it's a constant thing. It's not as if there's one isolated attack that comes after us. It's, it's constant pressure. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but we had um, communicated with the Illinois National Guard. Again, we had them on standby, their cybersecurity unit, in case anything happened. Uh, we have a pretty extensive war room at the Illinois Emergency Operations Center here in Springfield. Uh, through the state police's state terrorism and intelligence center that is specifically watching for not only cyber threats, but they're, they were also looking for social media misinformation um, and uh, looking for deliberate, deliberate attempts to misinform voters to get them to stay away from the polls. This is one thing that we saw that Russia did, for example, using fake Twitter and Facebook accounts in 2016. They would target certain groups of voters on social media and try to get them not to vote at all. And you had a thing um, on your, you had a notice on your website asking people you know, to report misinformation campaigns. Uh, did you get any reports? Uh, I don't know that we got, uh, we, we always get a few, but I don't, we did not get any uh, influx of traffic on that that I'm aware of. I do know they checked on a few things, and this is interesting, and voters might be interested to know the, um, the detail that our team can go to in, in combating disinformation. I got an email from our person who's over at the Emergency Operations Center on Tuesday asking me about an article that was on uh, BuzzFeed.com, which is a, a you know, pretty, pretty large national news site um, and it had an incorrect bit of information about some changes that they made in Chicago um, uh, regarding they had kept their early voting locations open on election day so that Chicago voters could continue to use them if it was more convenient. 
BuzzFeed had that kind of wrong, and they said that uh, that all Illinois election jurisdictions were keeping early voting sites open so that voters from any precinct could vote there. Um, I I got a notice saying, "Hey, is this deliberate disinformation?" Or and I said, "No, no, no, no. That's just let me get in touch with the writer." And they corrected it. Ah. That's an example. They caught that. They saw. I mean, there are a million things going on, and that's that's the degree of detail that they can go into and looking at uh, social media traffic, uh, news traffic. Um, that's how aware we are trying to be so that we don't have deliberate disinformation going out um, on, on social media or even in, the, even in the regular news media where they might have, you know, uh, errors that are, that are made despite their best efforts to be accurate that we can then contact them and correct. One of the other concerns that had been coming up dealt with the automatic voter registration system. Uh, some people were going in to get their real IDs and they weren't being signed up to vote. Uh, did we run into any problems on election day with people saying, hey, I got registered just you know, recently and I should, be in the, I should be on the voter rolls? We should not have had those problems. I did not hear any reports of anything like that. Um, and uh, that should have all been corrected uh, several days before the election when we sent the notices to the local authorities, notifying them that everyone on that list uh, should have been registered. Um, if they're not, they are, all their information is ready. You can go ahead and process them. This gave election officials enough time to um, alter their poll books so that if these voters showed up, they'd be listed as registered. And the good thing about voting in Illinois is that in a worst case scenario, if you, if you believe that you are registered and for some reason you're not, um, and you show up at your polling place to vote, you can still, you can just re-register. I mean, even if you actually were not registered, uh, you could register right there at the polling place on election day and if you don't have the proper ID with you to register at that time, you can cast a provisional ballot, and then you've got a week to straighten it out with your local election authority, get them the ID that they need, and then your vote will be counted, your registration will go through. Um, so nobody who shows up at a polling place on election day and is an eligible voter, you know, you're 18 and you're a resident, uh, nobody should be turned away. Okay, so summing up, how, the election went pretty smoothly or as smoothly as could be expected given the circumstances? As smoothly as we can, could have expected, um, we have never, ever had an election that has been conducted under these kinds of conditions. And we received, uh, you know, we got a lot of feedback from voters who were concerned about why are you even holding the election? Because we had our election as scheduled, as did Florida, as did Arizona. Uh, and what we have consistently said is that, for one, by the time Election Day rolled around, we were edging up on already having 900,000 votes, either early voted or ballots sent by mail. A significant part of the election was already done. Okay. And the second thing was, at that point, 
besides the fact that we did, you know, we lacked the legal authority to cancel an election. Voting, on a, especially in a primary, is not a process that requires any kind of close human interaction. You can, you can keep your distance from your fellow voters. Uh, most of what we heard was that lines were very, traffic was very light. Um, you know, turnout tends to be lower in primaries anyway. Uh, you can, you don't have to get face to face close with an election judge. In Illinois, you don't have to hand over ID at the polling place. You sign for your ballot. So you could be in and out without any kind of close contact. Um, the polling places are held in public locations that have adequate facilities for hand washing before and after casting a ballot. Um, all of our local election authorities were doing their best to keep their polling places stocked with sanitizing wipes and hand sanitizer. Uh, we helped some of the local authorities who were uh, short, you know, they were concerned about where do we get these supplies. We made sure that they were connected with their county emergency officers so that they could tap into the Illinois Emergency Management Agency's uh, protocols for obtaining supplies. So we really felt like, yes, we, we are aware that there is a risk, uh, but there is no more risk in this transaction than there would be in any other transactions that people are continuing to take during this time. So, um, and, and as it turned out, uh, I think we're going to see that we had a lower turnout, but not catastrophically low. Okay. Matt Dietrich, thank you very much. Thank you, Peter. That was Matt Dietrich, spokesman for the Illinois State Board of Elections. And that's it for this week's edition of Capital Cast. Capital Cast is a production of Capital News Illinois, a statehouse reporting project of the Illinois Press Foundation. Until next time, this is Peter Hancock saying stay safe and thank you for listening.